You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where no matter how beautiful Miss Yakamoto is, she'll always pale in comparison to Ming-Na Wen. Mmm, Ming-Na Wen. And welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted, as always, by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Dingle, and what I do on this show is talk about the Green Lantern comics. Specifically the Green Lantern comics, starting with cover date June 1990, and ending with cover date November 2004. While I'm doing it, I'm always making sure that I put a special emphasis on my two favorite Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. And of course, we're covering the run-up to the end of the series with Kyle Rayner's run in the book, or technically Ben Rabe's look on the book, as we're taking a new direction in the book, and Kyle being a more outer space-faring hero, and he is dealing with a strange entity that's blowing up planets. It seems kind of reminiscent of the Sun Eater tale that we saw back in Final Night, but it's obviously different, because it's a completely new writer and completely original idea. No, it's really kind of not. But it's an interesting tale, nonetheless. Uh, so far, all the, like I've said, all that's been going on uh, on the internet and people's misgivings about Ben Rabe have so far been unfounded. The artwork's nice by Rick Burchett as well. The story's good by Ben Rabe. There's some wonky bits, but it's Kyle. What's not to like? But of course, before we get into the comic, I've got some emails to read, plus I've got some promos to play, as usual, some for some great shows, well, not some, all of them for some great shows, that hopefully you all will be wanting to listen to after you listen to this show. So, let's go ahead and call this uh, done, we'll take a little break here, insert a couple of promos, and get into emails, then coverage of Green Lantern number 166. Satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. 
Lieutenant Commander Worf reporting for duty, sir. To the best crew any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. It is quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. We've lost all contact with the space station. What the hell is happening out there? Shields up. <laughs> Damage report. Battle stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the prophets. A Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Layla. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, would remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Migo Akachin figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at twotruefreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. It's targeted as an idea. A flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman and the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa. And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics Presents. You know, after Dave's done, and, I mean, you're not covering every, every issue. So he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this <laughs> Well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents, in publishing order, until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals, 
Plus, I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and we'll be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of the DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. All right, we are back, and it's time to take a look at emails. Yes, because I'm not even segueing this time out. Emails, go! You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and once again, I'm graced with a wonderful email from my listener to the Great White North. Perhaps my only listener to the Great White North. Scott, uh, you know, I know Canada's big, but hopefully you're not the only one listening. This one, of course, is from my good friend Scott Davis. He writes in about the witty title, Evil's Might. He says, hey, Sean, I just finished the Evil Might, the Evil's Might story arc, and I was pleasantly surprised. Here are some thoughts. On issues one through three, this was a great story, and the artwork is fantastic. It's very weird to see Alan Scott as a murderer, though. In the first issue, on page 35, the worker burning alive is pretty brutal. And thanks for the interesting facts about the Green Statue of Liberty on page 27. I agree, when people are singing songs and you don't know the melody, it is very hard to read. And that's about the part where Kyle and Carol were singing this tune, and all you saw was the dialogue. And it's, I think I referenced it to reading the Lord of the Rings books, and you seeing the Dwarven songs, the Elvish songs that they're singing, and you don't know what the melody is supposed to be, and you've got to kind of just make it up. So there you go. He says, good catch about Kyle and Carol dancing on a ring construct carpet. I didn't notice that at all. The second issue was great as well. Alan Scott continues ruthlessly murdering people in cold blood everywhere. And the last page with Carol and Kyle locking lips over Hal's unconscious body is hilarious. The third issue was excellent and continues on its violence. On page 15, there's some seriously disturbing blow-up doll face on the young girl. Yeah, that was that was almost um, some Daryl Banks, Jenny Lynn Hayden from the uh, That Run look. It was kind of creepy, yeah. While the Wiley, he goes back and says, while the Wiley Coyote moment on page 32 was hilarious and Kyle creating the Statue of Liberty was awesome. I think Kyle definitely killed Alan by closing him in the ring construct triangle around him. A brutal way to go out. Yeah, that was one of those things where it was kind of ambiguous whether or not it was just Kyle shrinking him into the ring or whether or not he was actually compacting his body. So, take it as you will. I guess uh, you could look at it as, as Kyle just simply crushing him, which is creepy. Finally, he says, I really enjoyed the Kyle Carroll love fest, and it's interesting that it's happening in the current Greenlander run as well. It sounded like you weren't too excited about all these issues. Just out of curiosity, how does this story by Howard Jacob compare to Guy Gardner collateral damage? This one was far superior to Kai Gardner collateral damage. I... I read that story digitally, I didn't pay for it, and I still want my money back. Anyway, Scott finished up the email saying, have a great week, Scott. Well, thank you, Scott, again for writing in. Uh, I really appreciate getting your emails, and it's always good to read them on the air. Thank you for writing in. And if you'd like to write into the show, of course, the email address is just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. Love to read your letters on the show if you write them in to me. So we'll go ahead and close the email bag finish that up. Thank you, Scott, for writing in, and we'll head into our coverage of Green Lantern number 166. 
Green Lantern number 166 was cover dated August 2003 and released on June 25th of 2003 with a cover price of 225 US and 375 in Canada. The title was The Blind Part 1, with the writer being Benjamin Rabe, the penciler Rick Burchett, inker Rodney Ramos, letterer Kurt Hathaway, colors and separations were by Moose Bowman, the assistant editor was Nache Castro, and the editor was Bob Shrek. Sector 2814 the planet Melifera. A young bumblebee alien tells his mother that something is wrong with the great light in the sky. His mother says that nothing could make the great light sick, but strangely, something does. A dark, speckled orb moves closer to the planet, eventually blowing it up, killing the 36 billion inhabitants. Meanwhile, on Oa, Dark Lantern Kilowog is awakening from another nightmare, only to find a demonic creature in his room, beckoning him to return. Shouting never, Kilowog blasts at the being, but only ends up blowing a hole in his wall. Later on, Kilowog is discussing the encounter with Kyle Ganthet, saying that the alien, an emissary of the Zadi, is a creature that guards the spiritual gestalt and retrieves those who try and break free of it, or some mumbo-jumbo like that. Ganthet says that he'll make sure that Kilowog is safe, and Kyle prepares to spring into action for his Bolivaxian brother. However, Ganthet says that he's got this one. All Kyle needs to do is to stay here and tend the store. Thinking that might be a bit of a problem, Kyle is offered assistance by Liana, the artificially aged guardian who dresses like a stripper at the lodge. Kyle declines the offer, but politely puts a single energy string, and then Liana doubles over in pain. Fortunately, this wasn't because of Kyle tipping her, but because she was being contacted by Tipanus Turpus, the turtle commander of the exploration vessel Tsunami, who was witness to the devastation of the blind. Realizing that heroing needs to be done, Kyle heads out, much to the chagrin of Eliana. As he rings his way toward the good ship Gamera, Kyle muses about his work as a Green Lantern, and his desire to go home to see his friends and family, especially Jenny. And, speaking of, Jenny and Marin are out clubbing it up in downtown New York City. After pantsing a couple of Jersey Shore dickweeds who are trying a bit too hard to come on to Jenny, the duo order a couple of Cosmos and begin to dish. Marin says she hasn't been happy with her life after leaving the Dark Stars and only being the surrogate Green Lantern's girlfriend. Jenny suggests she not be, and Marin says that she couldn't break up with John. Jenny specifies her comment, saying that Marin should do something on her own, and if she could be anyone, who would she be? Back in space, Cal is meeting up with Commander Ashari of the Cosmic Emergency Management Agency, who is investigating the sudden disappearance of the planet Melifera. Cal isn't too pleased with her blasé attitude about the incineration of a planet populated by billions of beings, and Ashari retorts that she can't bring back the dead. But awkward conversations are put on hold as the Turpus research ship arrives, much to Ashari's dismay. To display her displeasure, Ashari fires a warning blast across their bow, prompting Kyle to threaten the Seema bureaucrat and check in on the Turpins. Discovering that Tibby and his crew are like cosmic storm chasers, Kyle gets the even worse news that the Blind has been spotted in the Sol system, near the third planet. Being that he kind of has some sort of attachment to that planet, Kyle rocket boosters the Turpus ship back to his home. Meanwhile, on the SEMA ship, Ashari is communicating with a secretive someone who asks her about her dealings with the Green Lantern. After communicating about the Lantern's activities, Ashari asks if she can take care of the Emerald Deucents, and the leader tells her no. 
and thanks her for her allegiance by blowing her ship up. Back with GL and the Turtle Brigade, Kyle is attempting to contain the blind, which is a targeted form of entropy that causes stars to go nova. Bringing up a pair of giant hands to crush it, Kyle seems to be succeeding, until the sleek black spaceship zaps him into unconsciousness and beams him aboard. And as Green Lantern awakens, he finds himself staring at a mace-wielding... someone... poised to be his doom. still wondering what's supposed to be so bad about this era of Green Lantern books. Yes, there is a different tone in the way Kyle is being written, but the story so far is pretty decent. I wonder if the Black Circle idea was one that Ben Ray pitched to Bob Shrek as an ongoing story for Green Lantern, and the Green Lantern-Green Arrow crossover was just a way to set that up. The art by Rick Burchett is incredibly good, and I really like his simpler, streamlined art and I like the way it makes Kyle's uniform look acceptable. All in all, for this part of the book, it's not a bad issue. You know, I just recently had a conversation with Tom DJ, and he assures me that it only goes downhill from here, but I'm hoping it's not as bad as he says. So far, this opening salvo's been pretty decent. Let's go ahead and take a look at the book as it in specific, starting with the cover. I think we get a much better cover this time out. Uh, once again, it's by Ariel Olivetti with uh, Kyle flying upside down with uh, some ships or something being sucked into a black hole. Uh, I like the look of it specifically because the black hole reminds me of the animation that we saw at the beginning of the Disney movie, The Black Hole, with the very early digital uh line draw on the sort of wireframe look at the black hole in the background. It's kind of a neat idea. And Olivetti, he still gets the collar kind of weird on Kyle's uniform, but it's all right. Moving into the book, I don't have much to say about the beginning scene. It's sort of an opening sequence to set up that the blind is this devastating force. My first note comes on page four, and unfortunately these pages aren't numbered. It's Kilowog as the Dark Lantern. I'm hoping that we'll get him out of this guise very soon. And I don't know what this Zadi alien is, but it seems like another story arc that Ben Rabe or Ben Robb's trying to set up. And I guess it's interesting. I could care less about it. I'm more looking forward to Kilowog not being in this, this weird black tattooed get up thing. I'm not liking it. Page 5, panel 3. As Gansett and Kyle are discussing what's going on with Kyle or with Kilowog, we get the idea, and I think for the first time, that Kilowog and the members of his planet had a unified consciousness. Basically sort of a hive mind where they all work together. I don't really know whether this has been touched upon either since or prior to this, I haven't heard anything in the Green Lantern books from this time. Maybe it was in the books prior to this, but I've never heard anything about it. So it's kind of weird. However, if it does give him a reason to get out of this Dark Lantern mode, I'm all for the unified hive mind type thing. Page six, I like 
Like I said, I like Burchett's art style. But even Burchett's art style can't make Liana look any less ridiculous. The Amazonian warrior thing with the... The ridiculous stripper straps on her body that just... I don't know what they're going for the design, especially that it's so high cut that you're seeing like too much for her anatomy. If you know what I'm saying. Plus on this page, we get the introduction of Tipanius Turpus. Tipanius Turpus or Tippy Turpus, i.e. Tippy Turtle. I'm wondering if someone was a Gamera fan and possibly an MST3K fan here because Obviously, Ben Rabe's putting in some some mildly humorous hints of, well, mildly humorous Easter eggs in the book. Page 8, as Kyle flies out in space, he brings himself up a weird-looking sort of sheriff outfit. It's It's a weird art design, but whatever. However, I will say on the same page that Jenny really looks great. I think, I think uh, Burchett does a good job drawing her. And speaking of Jenny, moving on to page nine with her and Brynn in the dance club, we get these two, like I said, these two Jersey Shore dickweeds who are just trying to feel her up. In fact, uh, in the fourth panel here, we've got two guys, we've got a guy on each side. One's putting his arm around her and one looks like he's trying to, to cup a feel. It's pretty creepy. But I like the fact that Jenny can take care of herself, that she's not threatened by these guys. Not for a moment is she even phased by them. She just rings up some constructs and yanks their pants down, including censoring a little part of their backside. So I, I like this scene. It shows that Jenny's competent and capable. Even though she's an attractive female, she doesn't allow that to let her be a victim. And it's it's a good characterization of Jenny. So I like both the artwork here and Ben Ray writing her this way significantly better than how he wrote her in that oh that Green Lantern Secret Files and Origins story where she was just the kind of bitchy girlfriend. Page ten, I'm glad, like I've said before, that we're getting a little secondary character development. We're getting Jenny talk with Moran and finding out what's going on with them. That's nice that we have this put into the book that we aren't constantly being forced to see the action portion of the book, that we're getting some character development as well. Page 14, we get the tsunami is not only populated by a turtle alien, but it's also populated by a very humpy, leg-humpy, sexy cat alien, and some sort of bug alien who's got a face that looks very reminiscent of Larflees. It's that sort of extended, extended snout with the fangs all over the place. It's interesting design. Page 15, uh, if I do have one criticism about the story, it's that Ben Rabe seems to draw his jargon from various sci-fi works that don't feel natural to the DC Green Lantern universe. In fact, on this page, he's referencing uh, that the ship travels at warp factor 2, and he also makes a reference to pan-galactic credits, which sounds both from Star Trek and... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, respectively. So it's it's not a thing that's taking me out of the book, but it is one of those things I noticed doesn't feel necessarily right to the DC universe. 
page 16, I didn't mention in the synopsis, but as uh, Shari is communicating to this unknown person who blows her ship up, as she uh, talks to him, she takes off her glove and she has the mark of the black circle on her hand, just like Amon Sur did in the uh, Green Lantern uh, book about the black circle storyline. So obviously they're seeding more that the black circle is going to be a big part of the Ben Ray run. So there you go. Page 19, I'm looking at this page, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, if only Superman were here to help Green Lantern compress the blind and stop it from blowing up the sun. Uh, I miss DC 1 million. Certain people who are residing in the New 52 miss DC 1 million as well, but there you go. And then finally on page 22, it's an interesting design for the alien, but the thing is... I've read ahead to the next book, and the alien is supposed to be male, but the way it's drawn, it's got very feminine features. It's very lithe. It doesn't seem... And I think it, I think the thing that does it for me is it's got a head cover of some sort that looks like long hair. And the uh, the face also looks... It doesn't look masculine. It's got a sort of svelte look, so... Initially, I thought this was supposed to be a female who was taking Kyle down, which still wouldn't have I wouldn't have had a problem with. But supposedly, this is a male character. Interesting. But that does it for the book. Uh, again, I thought it was a decent story. I'm still wondering where the bad's going to be coming in because so far we haven't had it. Maybe the bad will be the advertisements that we have in the book. Let's go check them out. And. Starting off at the beginning, in the front and side cover, we've got the advertisement for Zapzit. A cream spelled Z-A-P-Z-Y-T, because that's hip and trendy, I guess. And I guess it's a, a, a sort of oxy cream that you put on your face to kill acne-causing bacteria. There you go. Got another advertisement a few pages in for Haribo uh, Gold Bears and Frogs, the Gummy Bears and Frogs... I guess gummy frogs, why not? And one of them is feeding one of the uh, gummy bears to one of those wind-up clackety teeth things. Nice. Uh, oh, this is great. After that, we've got an advertisement for the DVD and video of Kangaroo Jack. Yes, the exceptional movie starring, oh, what's his name? Jerry O'Connell from, from Sliders, who was in a movie about a Rapping kangaroo. I don't know. I never saw it. I just heard it was awful. Kangaroo Jack. Get it on DVD. Or in the bin at Walmart for five for five dollars. After that, we get the ad for the Navy. It says because top secret always looks good on your resume. Plus, we get a little, uh, a little sign in card in the uh, middle, which makes the book hard to read. That's always nice of them to put that in there because. Everyone who reads comic books would love to uh, join the Navy. After that, uh, we've got an advertisement for Sonic Adventure DX Director's Cut. I guess it's one of those 3D Sonic games. This is for the Nintendo GameCube. It's It seems very ironic to me that Sonic, which was a character that came or sprung from the Sega Genesis era, because the Sega Genesis console and platforms went down, that it basically got picked up to be a Nintendo character, and is now essentially working side-by-side side with Mario. So, I don't know. I thought it's just kind of interesting that 
the two rival companies are now working together. If only DC and Marvel could do something like that. Uh, we get an advertisement again for My Street, which is, I guess, a video game where you can play dodgeball instead of going out and playing dodgeball, because who wants to be active, you know, when you can sit and play it on a PlayStation 2? After that, you've got Midtown Madness 3. It's an Xbox game, uh, essentially driving around various different cities. I think I remember playing this for my PC. It was rather fun. You got a various different number of cars, and it wasn't quite as cool as Carmageddon, but it was interesting nonetheless. Then after that, you get an advertisement for the Hulk video game, where you can unleash the fury. I don't think this was as good a tie-in game as others. I know there was a, a Hulk game, I think, called Ultimate Destruction or something that was supposed to be really good. It was more of a a sort of Grand Theft Auto where you could demolish pretty much anything type game. This is a tie-in to the uh, Eric Bana Hulk movie, so if it's as good as that movie, you should know that you should probably avoid this video game. After that, you get an advertisement for the extreme summer sweepstakes. I guess things are still extreme, even the 2000s. Of course, this time, Magic the Gathering is extreme, and you can get uh, the card game as well as some ski gear and snowboards and stuff, because who doesn't associate Magic the Gathering with radical snowboarders? Everyone, I guess? I don't know. The DC in Demand uh, promotes some of its new books, including Alzheimer's Number 1, which was just coming out by Judd Winnick, uh, Tom Rainey, and Scott Hanna, as well as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Trinity Number 1. So there you go. The idea of the Trinity was set up by uh, Matt Wagner. There you go. Back inside cover is the advertisement for the Sargento String Cheese with the Just League characters, where you can get your free Just League hat if you eat enough of them. Uh, didn't that's that damn Ben Burquist skating over the poltergeist town again? Strong bones, weak gravity. Shut up, Ben Burquist. We're tired of you. I, I want another, you know, why can't I get Scarlett Johansson with uh, milk advertisement? Black Widow. Maybe that's maybe that's a crossover that I need to think about. Sorry, I got distracted by Scarlett Johansson. Anyway, that's the end of the book. That's the end of the ads, and that's the end of the show. I appreciate you downloading and listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll come back for the next time when we find out if Kyle is able to take on this possibly androgynous, mace-wielding alien and whether or not he saves Earth from being blown up. Chances are he does, since... I think we've got at least another, oh, dozen or so issues to go through. But again, thanks for everyone downloading and listening, and we'll see you next Friday on another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Until then, have a good week, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too. 
as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show is Thomas Dolby's song, She Blinded Me with Science, off the album The Golden Age of Wireless. As always, this great song can be downloaded from a myriad number of places. However, the best place to get it, of course, is Amazon.com. And if you decide to buy this song from Amazon.com, whether it be from the CD, from the vinyl, or even an MP3 download, I'd suggest first you go to TwoTrueFreaks.com. Whenever you go to TutorFreaks.com, you can click on the banner in the upper left-hand corner of the page, which will direct you to Amazon.com, where you can buy Thomas Dolby's album, The Golden Age of Wireless, and listen to the wonderful 80s techno themes of Mr. Dolby. Plus, every time you use the link at TutorFreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price gets shunted back to the TutorFreaks website. You don't see any extra money taken out of your account, it doesn't cost you anything more, but because we have the link for Amazon at TutorFreaks.com, they tend to give us a little advertising money for advertising at the site. So anytime you're thinking of buying entertainment of any type, whether it be music, videos, games, DVDs, or whatever, please make sure you use the link at TutorFreaks.com.